Welcome into the Whole Story Podcast, and we have a very special guest, good friend of the show, Marley Rivera, ESPN reporter and broadcaster, especially right now. She's on the call with Dave O'Brien during the ALDS. It's the Houston Astros versus the Seattle Mariners. Marley, thanks for joining us. How is Houston treating you so far? Well, I have to say it's a little hot, Alex, so these are the moments when you're really <laughs> grateful that you have a roof. And looking over to the East Coast and the kind of weather that is projected over there for tomorrow. I'm really, really thankful that uh, that we have Minute Maid Park for this series. Walk us through that moment on Tuesday when Don <laughs> Alvarez hit the walk-off home run off Robbie Ray. I have to say that it's, that it's such a wonderful way to set it up because to walk you through the moment is such a hard thing to do. In the beginning, as you well know, you know, following baseball so closely, this is a game that starts basically with a four-run lead for the Mariners early on against Justin Verlander, the presumptive you know, 39-year-old A.L. Cy Young, who's had a ridiculous season with a 175 ERA, and they come out swinging, literally. I mean, they really did a wonderful job knocking out Verlander early. I mean, Verlander, for the first time in his career, right, actually ties the amount of earned runs he's given up in a single game. He had not done this since he was a rookie in 2006 with the Tigers in the postseason. So he gives up six earned runs the entire game. Basically, the Mariners have a four-run lead. You know, like at times it was 4 nothing, it was 7-3 and so on. And then the eighth inning came. And what was impressive was in the beginning, you know, like first it was so important that Alex Bregman home run and Jordan Alvarez was so key also in that at bat because it was with Jordan Alvarez on board that Alex Bregman was was allowed, you know, was able to cut that lead to only two runs, and then comes the ninth inning. And what's interesting is that the Houston Astros, and in talking to Jose Altuve after the game, never panicked. And that is the part where sort of your postseason experience really, really plays. And and Jose Altuve, who's played, you know, in a million games, I think it's about 80 postseason games, called it the greatest postseason game he's been a part of. And it was because... The Astros at one point were down to their last strike. And you have someone like a rookie like Jeremy Pena, right, who's wearing, you know, trying to step into Carlos Correa's shoes and, and just being there and taking such a great at-bat and getting on board. And the same thing with, you know, with the rookie Hensley. It just really, all those things needed to happen. And then comes, right, Jordan Alvarez, who we know is the best left-handed hitter in baseball. He really just doesn't, just, you know, doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And he steps up to the plate, and the moment they say that Robbie Ray is coming out of the bullpen, we were completely confused. I mean, my partner, Dave O'Brien, and I were looking at each other like, really? Like, he hasn't come out of the bullpen in the postseason since September of 2020, has very, very few bullpen appearances, and most importantly, the Houston Astros own Robbie Ray. So one of those ones he had only had, I mean, Jordan Alvarez had had five plate appearances against Robbie Ray, and he had walked twice. And had gotten a hit, so we were kind of really confused as to why that was the move from Scott Surveys. And almost automatically, the moment Jordan stepped up, we sort of knew that that was going to be the outcome. I'm, I'm not saying that you know that we knew that maybe he was going to hit a home run, but we knew that he wasn't going to make an out. I mean, the Houston Astros are so tough to play at home, and really, really, Alex, the Mariners let one get away. You said it, and I want to bring it back up. You talked with Jose Altuve. He told your colleague, as long with Jeff Passan and yourself, that that was the greatest postseason win he's ever been a part of. When he said that, were you surprised? Because you've covered, obviously, a lot of the Houston Astro (laughs) postseason games, and, you know, 
their great last five, six years. Absolutely. I mean, I was shocked. I think surprise is an understatement. I kept looking at him. I go, come on. You need a home <laughs> run of this Chapman to win a game. Like, are you kidding me? And he goes, because the difference is that this one, I got to watch it. Mm-hmm. And he said, sometimes when you're a part of it, you don't get to enjoy it because you're so locked in and you're doing the job, right? And you're, this is Altuve telling us this one because we made him. It was such an amazing comeback because you had your ace on the mound and you were so comfortable and it wasn't going to happen. And you were just basically one strike away from going down 0-1 to a really dangerous team that is sending their ace on game two, right? With Luis Castillo scheduled to, to be on the bump tomorrow. So it's just so interesting, Alex, that he said that. He said the greatest win because in the fashion that it happened and also because Altuve said, you know what? All respect to Aaron Judge. Jordan Alvarez is the best hitter in baseball. How much do you think Dusty Baker impacts this Houston Astros team? I think he is an enormous influence. And I think that one of those, the reason why Dusty Baker, and it was actually an example that Scott Service has made at times. It is um, when we are in an airplane, right, and something like that, and you get, and there's turbulence, and you kind of, some people get a little nervous, they look to the leaders in the airplane, right? They look to the captain. They look to the flight attendants to see how they're behaving. And it's all about being calm. So that's exactly what Dusty Baker does for the Houston Astros, right? This is a guy, nothing is going to shake Dusty Baker. Really, <laughs> I'm telling you, Alex, I hope that you have the opportunity to chat with Dusty sometime. Dusty has seen it all. This is a guy, you know, who got fired even though he took teams to the playoffs. This is a guy who basically, you know, was done with baseball and went to be a stockbroker because he didn't believe that he had another chance, right? So every single moment that he's on a baseball field, he enjoys it and never panics. And when you have your leadership that doesn't panic, it allows you to also believe and not stress out. And also it is about those guys who've been there before. So the Alex Bregmans, the Jose Altuves, the Yuli Gurriels, they look to Dusty Baker. They look to that leadership, right? Those guys are just really calm and staying calm, right? Keeping your pulse down and keeping your heartbeat down in the biggest moments is a blessing. It's an incredible ability. I don't have it. I have no idea how these elite athletes and people like Dusty Baker, which is why he's destined to be in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, this is, like, an incredible accomplishment that he continues to do with another 100-win team, right, in a, in a different league and only four managers, and the other three are in the Hall of Fame who have accomplished that before. So it really is important to see how Dusty has been so key for this Astros team that we know continues to keep talking about what happened in 17, how, you know, how it was so, quote-unquote, undeserved because of the cheating scandal. And Dusty Baker has really kind of turned the page and has focused the attention on this particular team and the incredible season that they're having. And he's had an immediate impact with the coaches underneath him, Joe Espada, longtime bench coach and coach for the Houston Astros. He's had two job interviews today with the Miami Marlins and the Chicago White Sox for their manager openings. And Dusty, you were a part of the press conference today, and I can't remember if you asked him the question or if he just responded to someone else's question about how much he impacted Joe Espada's career, but he also said, well, some people might have said he isn't ready, but someone told me after I got my first manager job, I wasn't ready. What was it like to hear kind of Dusty Baker be so open about his breaking in as a manager in baseball? Alex, it was really kind of nice to see someone who is destined to the Hall of Fame be so humble, 
right? And to be so open about that moment when, well, I wasn't ready either. And, and Dusty is very open about his failures. And I believe that when you're open about your failures as much as of your success, people can empathize with you. And it's really hard, right, to have empathy with people that are just sort of in a pedestal, right? Like for a lot of people, Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker doesn't treat you that way. Dusty Baker meets you and, and makes you feel like you're already a friend. He, mm-hmm. he talks to me like he's known me his in my entire life. And what's amazing, and the question was from our colleague Brian McTaggart from Emily.com, who covers the Houston Astros. And it was just a great question by Brian saying, you know, what kind of qualities can Joe Espada bring right to baseball and in a managerial position? And we know that there's going to be a lot of manager jobs coming up. And it isn't only Joe Espada. You know, we do need to look at all the guys who have been in baseball for a long time. I mean, one of them is with the Seattle Mariners, Manny Acta, right, who had a couple of opportunities and then never got another chance. And it's been over 10 years since Manny Acta had a chance to manage. And, and if we look around all of baseball, Omar Gonzalez, you know, on the Houston Astros side, who is their first base coach, right now is going to be the World Baseball Classic for Venezuela. He's going to be the manager of that team. And if we go for every single baseball team, you can find at least one Latino coach or player or one black or African-American coach or player who hasn't gotten a former player, pardon me, who hasn't gotten an opportunity. And I think it's really good that Dusty stood up there and said, you know what, I was told that I wasn't ready. Maybe Joe will be told the same, but he doesn't need to believe it. Pedro Grafol, another name that has been thrown out there, a lot of openings for him as well. Is he a person that could get a chance this offseason to be a manager? I mean, one of the things that we know that Pedro has done in his close relationship with the Kansas City Royals, absolutely he's in that list, but Alex, the list is long. Like That's one of those things that there's so much talent. And one of the things that, for example, Freddie Gonzalez with the Baltimore Orioles was telling me about is that at times, you know, Freddie, who is um, a military man, always says that, you know, pressure is a a privilege and that, you know, managing in baseball is not pressure. The real pressure is actually, you know, being in the military and those moments where you have to be at war, what's happening in the Ukraine. That's real pressure. That's real issues. But when you are when you have a manager position and you're a person of color or a member of a minority, you feel that you cannot fail. And it's exactly what happened maybe to Charlie Montoyo, right, with the Toronto Blue Jays when he lost his job. That the room for error is so small. It happened to Rick Renteria, who had two chances with the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. And we'll see if someone like Miguel Cairo gets an opportunity to stay with the Chicago White Sox. There's so many guys out there that just believe that they have to be perfect. And we do need to give a little bit more leeway, right? Like it's a... You know, Joe Madden got a, quite a few chances and had some losing yeah. teams and kept getting opportunities, and we see it. It happened with Tony La Russa. It's happened with Brad Osmus. It's happened with other guys. We would like to see that happen to, you know, to men of color. And, and it's also, you know, we're, we're looking at Tony Beasley right now. Hopefully the Rangers see the value in keeping someone like him in that role, particularly because we only have two black or African-American managers in baseball in Dave Roberts and, and Dusty Baker. So, we really have to be very careful when we make a list of people. So I want to be very, very careful because I always leave somebody out and I don't want anyone to get angry at me. But all throughout baseball, there's so many talented you know, men and women, thankfully, who are really doing their jobs. And, and it's like unsung heroes. You know, Carlos Mendoza with the New York Yankees, right, as their bench coach. There's a lot of guys out there who have really put in the work. And I hope that a lot of them get you know, at least a chance to, uh, to interview for those positions. You mentioned the Yankees. 
You also cover the Yankees with ESPN a lot throughout the season. You were a part of the broadcast crew that saw the wild card game between the two wild card games between the Tampa Bay Rays and Cleveland Guardians. Give us a little uh, advanced scouting report, Marley, if you for any Yankee fans out there. Only one game so far in that series. What can Yankee fans expect as the series moves along from this Cleveland Guardians team? I think the number one thing is going to be what happens with the weather. And if they do have to play four consecutive games, if the game tomorrow does indeed not get played, and I know that Major League Baseball is working right now with the New York Yankees and the Guardians to see what they can do, and, and we know – uh, the weather is in New York. I mean, we just went, you know, I was there last week when we had that series, I'm, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, and, and we were there, and it was supposed to get, everything was supposed to get washed out, and we ended up playing all the games. <laughs> I mean, basically only one of them got slightly delayed. So we know the weather is really, really variable in the East Coast, and in, particularly in the Northeast. So we'll see what happens with that. But if it does happen that there's going to be four games in a row, the Yankees' bullpen is in trouble, and we know that that could be really the setting up of the pitching can be really, really difficult. And I will use one of the biggest cliches in baseball, which is that momentum is as good as your starting pitcher. And that's really, really going to matter in this series. So for Yankee fans, they got to be really, really careful because the Guardians can pitch. I mean, I know that, you know, that I only saw them face the Tampa Bay Rays, and I know that the Tampa Bay Rays kind of you know, stumbled at the end of the season, and they really barely you know, basically made the playoffs when they were in possession of the first wild card. But, you know, the pitching that I saw, it's something that you do have to worry. Now, the Guardians really are not very good with runners in scoring position a lot of the time, but they do have two really big stars, particularly Andres Jimenez and, of course, the great Jose Ramirez. So they really have to be careful with these two guys. But the benefit for Yankee fans is that you can really pitch around, right, a lineup like that. They're not stacked like the Yankees can be. And the Yankees have been scuffling offensively as of late, and they had that entire kind of five, six-day you know, period off. We'll see if that gets extended to another you know, couple of extra days off because of the weather. We'll see what happens with the bats, right? Like we know they held, you know, at that point, the Guardians held them to only four runs, which for the New York Yankees, that's really you know, not a lot. So the pitching is so good for the Cleveland Guardians. And Shane Bieber had one of the most spectacular postseason performances that I had seen in a while. And I know that the Shane Bieber that the Yankees saw in 2020 is very, very different from the one they might see tomorrow night, hopefully, or if not the day after. Marley, before we let you go, let's play a quick round of the Fast Five quick round. It says five quick questions. Are you ready? Oh, I'm not, but we're (laughs) going to do it anyway. (laughs) All right, Marley, which is the nicest MLB press box that you always love to look forward to? Okay, people are going to laugh at this. My favorite place to work, there's two of them. Can I do a tie? Yeah. Okay, Tropicana Field and Camden Yards. So why Tropicana? Really? Tropicana Field? Because Tropicana Field is really low. Mm. You're exactly behind home plate, and one set of stairs gets you to the press box, and another set of stairs gets you downstairs to the clubhouse. So it's a wonderful place to work. I know it's a terrible place to actually play <laughs> baseball, so I want to be very careful when I say Tropicana Field. But it, from the perspective of the media, of okay. the comfort, and the fact that the games always start on time, but if I have to pick one that includes the baseball too, <laughs> the fact that the view, I think that Camden Yards has no match. I mean, we are so low on the field. Even during the pandemic, when we had no fans in baseball at all, 
Camden Yards was my favorite place to go to because you felt like you were actually close to the players in the game. Just the most spectacular base, you know, baseball press box. Second one, do you have a favorite restaurant in Houston? And if so, what is it? So I used to have a favorite place, and it closed down after the pandemic, so I was really, really disappointed. It was called The Pastry War, which has Mm. absolutely nothing to do with pastries. And the only reason why I loved it is actually the name of a famous battle in Mexico. It was called The Pastry War, and it had the most spectacular margaritas and chips and salsa that I've had in my entire life. But now I'm a big fan of the margaritas. But it has closed now. So it's just really disappointed. So right now, there's a small little place. It's a it's an Italian place called. Um, uh, it's also in Casala, I believe, and it's right next to Minute Maid Park. And for me to say that pizza outside New York is good, those are major words. The pizza there is very good. <laughs> the third one. What is your favorite John Sterling home run call? Oh my. I am going to say <laughs> there's a few that really make me laugh, but the one that always makes me laugh every time he does it is the Giancarlo Stan home run call. Mm. Like, it really is. I know it's not everyone's favorite. I know that some people are criticizing his Italian accent when he does it, but John Sterling is all about bringing joy in baseball, and he always makes me smile. So when he, you know, goes into his, uh, his Italian, his style, and of course, a Giancarlo Stan home run. That's definitely my favorite. Now, have you heard his Harrison Bader one yet? I have not because I was oh. on the call. So it's like, yeah, I didn't get to hear it yesterday. And I, I did not have my headphones on the one time that Harrison actually hit one. So I didn't. So I have to hear it. You have to tell me all about it. Let me see if I can play it for you right now. Please. Swung on, hit in the air to left field. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone to tie the game. His first Yankee home run. Oh, I'm just wild about Harry. Harry, he homers to left center. And the Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Isn't that just classic John Sterling? Classic John Sterling. I mean, I just love it. I have to say that that one is going to go high up there. Of course, (laughs) I was actually thinking now. I'm like, of course I haven't heard it because it was his first Yankee home run. So I actually did not get a chance to hear it. And uh, thank you so much for playing it for me. I still think that I'm a little partial to Giancarlo. Uh, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right, Marley, the fourth one, who is one person you've never interviewed before in baseball that you would love to have a conversation with? I've had a conversation with her, but we've never sat down to actually have an entire interview, and I think it would be Kim Eng. I feel that what she has accomplished and how she is opening doors for more women in baseball has to be very clear. She is not the first one, right? We have a lot of people out there. Even the New York Yankees, of course, have one of the great, you know, assistant GMs in baseball who is a woman. But I think what Kim Eng has done and the kind of hard work that she did to get to where she is, I would really love to really have a lengthy, honest conversation with her about the process of being a woman in baseball. And uh, we have uh, crossed paths. We've spoken a couple of times. And I think between her and Alyssa Nacken, the two of them who continue to just open doors for women, uh, those two would definitely be, uh, be my pick for a long, nice conversation. And Marley, the last one I have for you, what's one more thing you want to accomplish in your career? Oh, I hope that I have a lot more things to accomplish. <laughs> I hope that it's not uh, just one more. But I would, really, I would really like to be part of more national broadcasts. Yeah. I feel that... We need more voices, particularly of you know men and women of color out there who are not former athletes. And I think that we have a lot to contribute. I hope that we do. 
So uh, be a part of a lot more television, probably just for the visibility. Not, I love radio. It's my first love. It's my favorite thing to do. But obviously, when you're on television, you get a lot more visibility. And I think it's important, you know, for representation to have visibility. So I think that uh, being part, being the color commentator for national broadcast, that would definitely be the next step. Marley, you're one of the best people in the business. Uh, I appreciate you <laughs> taking the time with me today. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter and social media and read your work as well and hear you on the broadcast? Oh, thank you. Well, Alex, uh, on ESPN.com, just search for Marley Rivera. Unfortunately, I don't get to write as much right now because I'm on, right, the, call, because you're on the call uh, in the postseason. But you can read all my former Yankee stories. <laughs> <laughs> you can do everything about the season. And, of course, at Marley Rivera ESPN, that's my Twitter handle. Be kind. We need to start being a little kinder uh, on Twitter. Unfortunately, I had to change my Twitter to, uh, to have, like, this kind of, like, replies thing. And I really dislike it because I love the interaction with the fans. The only reason why I have a job is that people care about baseball. It's because of the fans. If, if the fans didn't care about the Yankees and it didn't care about baseball, I wouldn't have a job. So that's certainly uh, where you can find me on Twitter. It's Marley Rivera, ESPN. And I wish I was better about the Insta and all that stuff <laughs> that you cool young kids do. You got to take notes from Susan Waldman. <laughs> there, I, and, well, Susan, Susan's got this down. Like, really, I mean, Susan and Meredith are the best at that. <laughs> I just really, I'm just so inept <laughs> social media. I'm basically just a nerd who likes to put stats and pictures <laughs> on social media. That's all I do. But um, if, you, if you're a nerd like me, please come over and follow at Marley Rivera ESPN. Susan's better at Instagram than I am, so. Of course she is. She's better on Instagram <laughs> than any of us. Come on, it's Susan Walman. <laughs> Marley, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. I like thanks for having me always.